This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, the heart of darkness in the Sunshine State. Today on Sunrise, an update on election security. The Russians hacked their way into two county databases during the 2016 election, and the Secretary of State's office is spending millions to try to prevent a recurrence in 2020. Just don't ask for details. Governor Ron DeSantis says the upcoming legislative session could go down in the history books as the Year of the Teachers. The teachers are hoping that's true, but after the way they've been treated in Tallahassee over the past couple of decades, let's just say they have their doubts. John Morgan's constitutional amendment phasing in a $15 an hour minimum wage has cleared a major hurdle. They have enough signatures to make the ballot, but it's not quite there yet. It's Halloween, and while the kids are filling their bags with candy, the real treat goes to retailers who sell the stuff. Turns out the holiday for ghosts and ghouls is a major economic driver in the Sunshine State. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and an update on Florida Man versus his arch nemesis. You guessed it, another Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, October 31st. With just one year left before the 2020 election, Florida Secretary of State Laura Lee says they're spending millions of dollars working to prevent any outside tampering with elections in the Sunshine State. Election security is the top priority of the Department of State and ensuring that Florida's elections are safe and secure and that voter information is protected uh, will be our top focus. The Department of State and Florida's 67 supervisors of elections have worked tirelessly to enhance election security through critical investments, strong partnership, increased training and information sharing. We are addressing any vulnerabilities that we have identified across the state network. And to be clear, this is a very real threat for Florida. Uh, every single day, domestic actors and foreign actors attempt to penetrate our Department of State networks and the networks of supervisors election, of elections around our state. So it is critical that we have been able to develop and implement uh, this type of partnership uh, so that we can be prepared to continue to meet those ongoing threats. Earlier this year, the governor ordered a complete review of the voting process. It's called the Joint Election Security Initiative, and they finished their work but Lee won't say what they found. So at this stage in the Joint Election Security Initiative, we have completed a review of any vulnerabilities in all 67 counties and have moved to working with supervisors uh, to attempt to address or mitigate uh, anything that we believe uh, needs that attention prior to 2020. The Department of State is committed to transparency uh, with the press and with the public to the maximum extent possible. Uh, however, we must be ever mindful that uh, specific information about our critical infrastructure and vulnerabilities that may exist there uh, could jeopardize the security of our elections that we are working so hard to support. Which puts the Secretary of State in, say, an uncomfortable position. Lee wants people to know that Florida's elections are secured, but she really can't explain what they've discovered or how it's been corrected. The department is committed to uh, the maximum extent of transparency that is possible. However, uh, it is also true that to share with you specific detailed information about particular vulnerabilities that have been identified is to share them with our adversaries 
who would gladly use those vulnerabilities to exploit uh, our systems uh, and do any damage that was possible. The Department of State uh, is, is balancing uh, those two interests uh, and will provide as much information as is possible related to the types of actions we are taking to mitigate any security threats uh, that are identified. There has never, there is no evidence that in any election have vote tabulations or voting machines ever been affected. Uh, that is something that has been consistent uh, throughout all of the elections uh, and even, even the prior elections that are the subject uh, of the discussion. Uh, those, those incidents did not in any way affect vote tabulation and, and election results. Despite those assurances, there is plenty of reason to be concerned. The Mueller report on the Russian investigation concluded that at least one county in Florida had been breached back in 2016. After that report was released in March, the FBI informed Governor Ron DeSantis the Russians had access voter information in two counties. A constitutional amendment to raise Florida's minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour has enough signatures to appear on the November ballot next year. The Department of State website that tracks these propositions shows backers of the amendment have reached their goal of collecting more than 766,000 verified signatures. All they need now is clearance from the Florida Supreme Court, which has to decide if that proposal meets the legal requirements to appear on the ballot. Now, the court review is fairly limited, really just two issues. Is the amendment confined to a single subject, and do the ballot title and summary accurately inform voters about the impact of the amendment? Orlando attorney John Morgan, who bankrolled the medical marijuana amendment, is the guy behind the minimum wage amendment. If it clears the court and gets 60% of the vote next year, it would increase the minimum wage by about a dollar a year until it reaches 15 bucks an hour in 2026. Governor Ron DeSantis is gearing up for the legislative session that begins in January, and he's promising to make public education a top priority. This coming legislative session really needs to be the year of the teacher. As I announced in um, a couple weeks ago, um, one of the initiatives we're going to be doing is an initiative to take the minimum salary in the state of Florida for teachers from about 26th in the state is, or in the country is where we rank uh, all the way to number two based on the most recent figures. And um, I think what that would do is, one, that actually provides a raise for the majority of current teachers because it's not a, just for starting teachers, it's every teacher would need to be paid a minimum salary of $47,500. Well, you look around the state, I mean, you have p teachers starting in places like Miami and, and Broward at 40, 41-ish. Uh, those are pretty tough places to, to get by on that. So that'll be a relief for them. Then you have other places, some of the rural communities where they may not have as many pool of people. All of a sudden, that's going to be more attractive. So I think it's a, it's a really good tool to be able to recruit uh, new teachers, obviously, to be able to help some of those um, who, who are not making a lot. Um, and then that provides a good foundation uh, for us to go forward as well. Florida Education Association President Frederick Ingram says they were glad to hear about the governor's teacher pay plan, but they don't think it goes far enough. Raising the minimum teacher salary does not help veteran teachers, and it does not include everyone else who makes the schools work, like media specialists, librarians, custodians, bus drivers, office staff. The governor's proposal is, is a step in the right direction. It's $600 million, but we want that $600 million to be all-inclusive of all teachers. They all work hard. We cannot give uh, you know, a, a lion's share of money to unborn teachers, to teachers that are in their first and second year. We have teachers who have been teaching 25 and 30 years. Those teachers uh, deserve the same amount of respect as every other teacher. And so what the governor's proposal does in isolation is pit teacher against teacher. 
and we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we have a comprehensive plan that is going to be inclusive of everyone. We don't want bonuses because that's paying teachers on the cheap, and we've done that far too long in the state of Florida. We want a compensation package that is going to be all-inclusive and is going to respect everybody on every level. Uh, the governor's proposal simply doesn't do that. It falls short of including everybody, and I think we all know that. So, again, bring us to the table. The Florida Education Association is ready to talk. We've got plans. We've got uh, an understanding of how teachers should be compensated. We study this. We do research all over, the, all over the country. But the one thing that we all know is that in Florida, teachers' salaries are abysmal. And that is not fair to our students. It's not fair to our schools. And it's not fair to those who give their life, blood, and soul to uh, our, our children every day. Governor DeSantis is not surprised by the lukewarm response to his teacher pay plan. He says it's all part of the political game in Tallahassee. Let's not pretend there's not politics involved in this. I mean, it's just a fact of the matter. I'm a Republican. They're not. And so what I'm doing is never going to be enough. And my job is not to, to, to do what the union wants. It's what I think is best for education and particularly for, for individual teachers. And I think the, the, the analysis I've looked at um, is that this starting salary doesn't mean that's the only thing you need to do. I did mention we're looking at principal and teacher bonuses. But the starting, or not the CI say it too, the minimum salary um, really has the most significant effect on recruiting on recruiting new teachers. Not saying someone that's making 59 doesn't deserve 60, but in terms of how that's going to positively impact education, that is going to be a really, really big thing. And so, um, so I think it's good. The teachers' union is calling on lawmakers to come up with more than $2 billion new dollars for education in their next budget. There's not much chance that will happen, and the governor's idea of a minimum salary for teachers may be problematic. It's getting a mixed reception from lawmakers, for starters. And then there's the fact that teacher salaries are negotiated by local school boards. So a state mandate setting a minimum salary could create all sorts of legal problems. Welcome back to Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, and our guest in the studio today is Scott Shalley with the Florida Retail Federation. And this is the time of year where the ghosts and the goblins and all the kids are out there having a good time. But really, it's the retailers who get the treat. We're talking big bucks here, aren't we, Scott? Oh, I don't know about that, but it's definitely been a good year for retailers. Uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, we're looking at probably the third highest uh, uh, season on record. So people have been out uh, doing their shopping and loading up for a happy Halloween and hopefully a safe, uh, fun night tonight. Okay. Obviously, they're spending a ton of money on candy, but there's a lot of other things that you count in as far as Halloween sales, correct? Yeah. Interestingly, the, the average family will spend about $86 on Halloween. A large portion of that, 95% will buy candy, but it's decorated. Decorations, um, it's uh, costumes, and all the other things that come with the festivities. Now, you guys also tried to figure out which costumes are the most popular this year, right? We did, and I'm 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 kind of uh, nostalgic about this year. We've got uh, some of the old guards coming back strong. No, really, Al almost almost twenty percent occupied by princesses, superheroes, and Spider Man, and then you start to get into uh, Batman, Witch, and Ghost, and and the things that we're used to from uh, uh, when you and I were growing up and, and trick or treating, Rick. So it's it's a it's a lot of fun to see some of those uh, old go-tos uh, back at the top of the shopping list this year. What was your favorite costume as a kid? Oh, man. I was kind of simple. I like the ghost. You know, I got to go with the simple ghost. I couldn't couldn't get uh, any fancier than that. I got you. Worst ha costume I ever did was back in the 60s. I went as Ilya Kuryakin from the man, you know, the man from Uncle TV series. <laughs> Not a single person figured out who I was. <laughs> oh, well, moving on. <laughs> so, 
At, at the Shally household, what kind of candy bars can we expect tonight? So, yeah, we go pretty strong on uh, on the candy. We can't uh, want the neighborhood kids happy with our house. I don't want them coming back on any other night. So we're we're going with uh, the Snickers, the Milky Ways, the Reese's Cups for sure. Uh, and I know that uh, the kids will be making the rounds to add to that. So it's going to be a, a sugar-laden uh, couple of months, I think, as we work through these sacks this, mo- this so month. So none of the pectin-based food groups like Starburst or Dots? <laughs> I, I don't think they're quite as popular at my house, but I'm sure we'll see our share. And fun size or full size? Uh, if anybody has met my son or I, you know full size, but uh, we're, uh, we're we're definitely going to um, try to load the local kids up. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the crazy things about the shopping this year is you're seeing and we see it trick or treating in our neighborhood as well is is a trend towards pet costumes. We're seeing a lot more of uh, uh, people purchasing pet costumes and dressing their pets up. Uh, the 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 number one thing you see there is a is a is a pumpkin, and of course the hot dog is a is a close second for sure with the wiener dogs exactly. The wiener dogs. Have you seen the video of the Chucky dog costume? I have not. It's that's frightening. Absolutely though. amazing too. <laughs> yeah, if one of those shows up in my door i'm gonna run that's terrifying no candy i'm just out of there yeah yeah now of course halloween is all fun and games but we're about to enter a busy season for retailers correct we are and it's really critical um we're, we're running right into uh of course we're already starting to see some hints of the holiday season and we're going to jump right into it and uh right now the projections are really solid for a, for a good year i know that folks are get further and further ahead on their shopping but uh we we just with with one in five jobs roughly in florida attributed to the retail industry. We appreciate the support of Floridians, and we like to see them out, out shopping early and often, for sure. Understood. Anything you'd like to throw in? No, we just appreciate the support of, of retailers. Again, it's uh, I feel like it's the backbone of the economy in the state of Florida. Uh, they're the people that know you. They're the people that uh, uh, support your community, sponsor your Little League teams, and are around to, to help you in times of need, as we've seen throughout uh, the hurricane season. So, we, uh, of course, it's a great time to, to make money and do business, but we really appreciate the support of the, the of Floridians statewide and, and look forward to a prosperous and safe year. And I usually ask our guests what their secret talent or ability is, but I know yours. You're yeah. a beekeeper. Well, I'm a, I'm well a, done, I'm, a sir. Be, I'm a beekeeper in training. I haven't successfully. Uh, I'm trying to keep them alive right now. That's my that's my number one goal. So I, I, that's I, sort of what beekeeping I, is all I, about. I have a good yeah. mentor, I think. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see how it works out. All right. Thanks much. You've been listening to Scott Shelley with the Florida Retail Federation on Sunrise. On your agenda today, members of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission hold a conference call at 8.30. The commission was created last year after the mass shootings at Parkland and is working on recommendations to improve school safety. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity will hold the latest in a series of workshops to get public input about the use of federal disaster and mitigation money in areas affected by Hurricanes Hermine, Matthew, or Irma. They'll be meeting at the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council in Pinellas Park. The Florida Department of Education will be at Orlando Technical College at 10 this morning. They're holding a public hearing to get input on a plan for career and technical education. The Florida Supreme Court is expected to issue its weekly opinions. That's at 11 this morning. State Representative Mike LaRosa of St. Cloud is speaking to the Tiger Bay Club of Polk County starting at 1130 in the Bartow Civic Center. And the Florida Education Association Big Red Bus Tour continues at Hawthorne Middle and High School this afternoon with a stop in Hawthorne. And finally, the continuing saga of Florida Man and his twin brother, Florida Man Number 2. 
A Florida man in a MAGA cap says that hat was slapped off his head by another Florida man who then proceeded to spit on him. 67-year-old Robert Youngblood was at Hurricane Grill and Wings in Vero Beach when 43-year-old Matthias Ashbel walked up and said, you should go back to Russia, you effing communist. Witnesses say he slapped the brim of the bright red hat and spit on the man before driving off. When police caught up with the assailant, he told them Trump supporters are racist and communist and that he was just trying to protect law enforcement. He's charged with battery and has a court hearing scheduled next month. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics.